chapter 10 of the book of Luke, verse 1, says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. In chapter 9, Jesus had given power and authority to the 12 apostles, who they called apostles, and he sent them two by two, Mark tells us, to the lost children of Israel. And it was at this time that Jesus concluded his ministry in the area of Galilee in the north of Israel, and he was headed towards Jerusalem. It says in chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, or he set his face, if you're reading the New King James, towards Jerusalem. Jesus was resolutely headed towards Jerusalem where he would suffer and where he would die at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, according to the Scriptures. And as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, he sent 70 ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, it says. And so Jesus is is kind of building his transition team. He's no longer going to be here anymore, and the ministry had to continue. He's investing in people. That's called discipleship. You're going to be gone soon. Do you know that? You're going to die. Do you know that? Do you feel it? 41. I'm feeling it. I've already had cancer. Things have happened. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the, the weight of life. I'm not going to be here much longer. Now, whether that's a, a month, a year, or 40 years, it's going to be gone. And there needs to be the re- next generation raised up in the Lord. Amen? And the only way that's going to happen is if I lay my life down. It's the only way it's going to happen in your house is if you lay your life down. It's the only way it's going to happen in Walla Walla is if you lay your life down. There's no other way the kingdom comes about. <clears throat> so Jesus told in verse 2 them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus' heart is for the lost. He has a heart for the lost. Do you see that? And from his perspective, there are people who are ripe and ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive his salvation. That's his perspective. How many of you look at the world and go, no one will listen to the gospel. No one cares about God. No one wants, you know, has anything. You know, one of the prophets had the same uh, perspective. I think it was Elijah. And he was out there in the wilderness, and he wanted to go back to a land, and he's like, man, they're going to kill me. There's no one who believes in God. And, and the Lord said something like, there are several thousand people who have not bowed their knee. You have no perspective of what's truly going on. And so do not base uh, reality upon what you see, but upon what he says. There are people in your family, around you, all over the place, that are ready and ripe to receive salvation, to receive the message of Jesus Christ. Will you go? Will you say, okay, Lord, I believe what you say over how I feel or what the culture says or the mood of whatever, and you just say, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to share the gospel. So he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are fruit, and then he tells them to do what? Pray that the Lord would send someone. And so I find it interesting that the very first thing Jesus does is he is, is, is he makes them aware of the situation, the need. There's a, there's a great need. People are every day going off into hell, and we have the hope. 
Now, I don't want you to think that God would not allow, you know, people who are going to receive the Lord, are, He's going to allow them to go to hell. I, and that's a whole other discussion. <clears throat> but you're a part of the plan for reaching the lost. You are a part of that plan for reaching the lost. And He desires that you would go. You know, I think we can often think that nobody wants to hear the gospel, but God can see what we can't, and we have to remember that. And Jesus says there's so many people that need to hear the Lord, there just aren't enough people to go share it. So talk about recruiting. Talk about recruiting. Every single one of you can be someone who shares their faith with Jesus Christ. So the very first thing Jesus has his followers do is he prays. And he tells them how to pray. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And so church, would you pray that God would send out people to go share the gospel with people in Walla Walla? Will you do that? Will you do that? Because Jesus told them to do it. I think we should too. Lord, will you please send out people across the street, wherever it is at my, at my workplace or whatever it might be, will you please just inundate our society with people who are going to be willing to go share the gospel? Will you do that? Do you think that's a prayer God wants to answer? Do you think that's according to His will? Amen. And then what you find is when you start praying, what happens to your heart? Oh, He's going to go, hey, how about you? How about you? <clears throat> and so therefore, we don't want to do step one. Amen? <laughs> Pray according to His will, and He changes your heart until the conviction comes to where you, you must, I've got to do this. This is a conviction. I've got to go. I've got to open my mouth. I've got to share. I've got to do it. And so, as Jesus is explaining that reality, there was those people who needed to be saved that were ready to hear from the Lord. And then He tells those disciples to pray and ask the Lord people to sin, and this is how people... Uh, come to Jesus. This is how people come to Jesus, church, is people pray and people go. People pray and they go. It's by faith. And as you follow Jesus and you come to know His plan and His burden for the lost, to save lost people by the preaching the message of repentance from sin and belief in Christ's death and resurrection, then the Lord will begin to possibly call you into areas that you never were willing to go before. <clears throat> and so, the Lord wants us to pray that people would go into the field. And what you find then is that well, God put, will put an action on your heart, an action on your heart. When you see God's plan, when you see what He desires to do in and through the church, when you see His, his heart, then guess what? He's going to put someone in your path. He's going to, uh, there's going to be a letter for you to write. There's going to be a check for you to send, so to speak. There's going to be some time to invest in a place and, and with people. It's going, to, it's going to be reflected in how you live and what you say and what you do and what that looks like all over the place. You're going to be a part of His mission for reaching the lost. And then He comes to a point and that really brings us to a point where we have to really trust and obey God. Verse 3, what does he say there? The very first word, verse 3, what does it say? Oh, that's the great suggestion. Amen? How many of you would like to have a little 
maybe a footnote that says, if you want to. <clears throat> Jesus said, go. And so to not be a part of sharing the gospel with people, not be a part of that mission somehow, some way, is disobedience. Jesus saved you to go share that with others. A, by how you live and the transformed life that you have, but B, by how you actually act and what you say and what you do, and specifically sharing the gospel with people. It doesn't, it's not a suggestion. He says, go. You know, our vision, as I mentioned before, is to glorify God by loving and what? Loving and obeying Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? Obey me. So to, to love Jesus is to what? To obey Jesus is to, is to love Jesus. There's no way around it. And I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. And this is one of the ways that we love and obey Jesus. We make sharing the gospel central to our everyday lives. We make sharing the gospel central to our everyday lives. We are looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people wherever and whenever we are. Now, instantly in your mind, you should be going, but, right? Anybody have a situation, some kind of block? I can't because, anybody got one of those going on in their head right now? Because the school says I can't do this, because I would be persecuted, I would be rejected, I could go under hardship. Anybody else got those things going on in their minds? Kind of sounds like a cross to me, doesn't it? Sounds like a place where you're going to identify to the place where you're actually going to take up the suffering and be rejected. Don't let those things stop you. See, that's laying down your life. It's laying down your life. That's what glorifies God. But I'm scared. Anybody scared to share their faith? Well, that's what Jesus says right here. What does he say there? I'm, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Yeah, it's scary. There's wolves out there, and you're sheep. Pretty scary, huh? Cool thing, big picture, he's the shepherd. He's got a crook, and he can smack the wolves around. I love that. But you are a sheep, and the enemy is, has real, there's real wolves out there. But Jesus is that great shepherd, and Jesus sent the 70 into enemy-controlled territory. He's going to send you into hostile situations. He's going to send you into situations where they will reject you, where you will be looked at as a fool. Do you believe it? Do you feel it? Yeah. That's why He chose you to go into that situation where you're going to experience those things. And when you do suffer rejection or persecution at the hands of the enemy and from those under his control and from this godless culture, keep what Peter said in mind. First Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. You see, to 
be persecuted in the name of Christ, to be rejected in the name of Christ, is to partake in the sufferings of Christ. It is to be one with Christ. And, and, and just as you suffer now, as he suffered then, so when he is revealed, you will experience the joy and the glory. That's the way it works. But see, we don't want to experience suffering. We don't want to experience loss. We don't ex- want to experience the cross. We want a crossless Christianity. And that is the wide road. The narrow road says, whatever you say, Lord, here I go. Now, of course, we can learn how to say things and, and be wise in certain circumstances, but I don't even think that is truly the dialogue going on. I think it's just a, a flat-out, no, I'm not, I don't want to suffer. Anybody just feel like that? You're just on the, on the side of the fence that says, no, I don't want to suffer, therefore I won't open my mouth, or when the stars align, I will instead of actively pursuing opportunities to share the gospel? If Jesus said, go, that's kind of like your mission. And then everything else kind of falls into place. Guess what? Your work is a mission field. Your, your home is a mission field. Your children are a mission field. It's all about Him. That's pretty wild, isn't it? It's what it is to be a Christian, to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And so verse 4, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, he's saying to the seven. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. Verse 6, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking what they give, uh, give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And so the 70 were to depend upon the Lord to provide for them as they walked in obedience. And so this first trip, they weren't supposed to bring a bunch of stuff. This was supposed to depend on the Lord. Later on, he says, I told you before not to do that. Now you do need to bring stuff with you because I'm departing. But this first trip they were supposed to send out was just to be in the pure power and presence and provision of the Lord. Three Ps, you could have a sermon on it, a sermon on it, but we won't do it. And so the very first trip, it was just depending upon. And this included where they were staying. Jesus was sending them to specific cities, and he wanted them to get there right away. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm sending you to these cities along the way. Don't stop. I want you to get there. And when you get there, you're going to start preaching the gospel, and there's going to be people who are receptive. If they're receptive, they're going to, by the Lord's Spirit, they're going to say, come stay at our house. Do you have any place to stay? And they would go stay at their house. Eat what's put in front of you. That's my provision for you. That's me leading you and guiding you. And peace will rest on that house. How many of you have, have opened up your homes for the gospel, have allowed ministry to happen in your home? How many of you have experienced that before and have had the peace of God just rest on your house? Amen. So, shameless plug number two, marriage series. We need some people to host to open up their homes so we can get together once a week and show a video. Maybe we can rotate it around. But this is an opportunity for you to allow the ministry of the gospel to happen in your home. Amen? Come see me. Check your name. Put, put yes, I can help on the sign-up sheet out there. <clears throat> yes, I can host. But seriously, they're out there. And what's really interesting is, is, is he says, stay there and eat and drink everything that is put before you. You know, I... I find this really interesting because I can just see the disciples going into a house and they're thinking the Lord's leading them and they get there and they go and they set this food in front of them and they're like, oh man, is this gluten-free? Is there mercury in this fish? 
You know what I mean? I can't eat this. You know, I mean, all the funny things we kind of joke about now, it's just eat what's in front of you with joy. I remember when I was going to the Philippines, one of the training things uh, they, would, they would do is they sent us down to Mexico, and we'd hang out in Mexico, and we'd just eat the food, and yes, drink the water, all the stuff. You just, it was fun. But then before I went to the Philippines, they, they sent us to National City, which is in San Diego, which is, uh, which is I'm, I'm looking at my brother Ron here from the Philippines, and uh, we were just talking about National City. But it's, it's kind of, we have a Mira Mesa, we, we call it Manila Mesa, because it's like tons of Filipinos there. But anyways, you have fun, tons of food, and uh, tons of food, and you're just eating this foreign food, and you're trying to prepare yourself for what it's like. So I landed, on the, uh, landed over in the Philippines to get off, and you're, and you're totally just jet-lagged, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're, you're sitting in front of this table, and there's chicken feet, <clears throat> and there's just stuff in front of you that you haven't eaten before, and you're just like, just eat what is set in front of you, and they trained you on that. What's funny is our Filipino brothers and sisters over there, they knew that that's how we were being trained, and so they put weird stuff in front of us, <clears throat> and they, you know, because we don't want to offend and all this type of stuff, and and they put balut. Anybody know what balut is? Yeah, it's glorious. It's basically a fertilized chicken egg, and they, have, they, they gauge it by days. So the more mature it is, the less. And so they eat, like, it has feathers and beak, and you can do ones that are soft and hard. And they put it in front of you. It's a delicacy. They, they, a lot of Filipinos enjoy it. Ron, do you like balut? No, not really. Not really. Okay, that's cool. It's, it's like a 50-50 thing. So they put it in front of us. They're like, you're going to disrespect us if you don't eat this. I didn't. I disrespected him. <laughs> Everybody else did. But the disciples would receive the provision from the people. And they were also supposed to give back. You see, this wasn't a one-sided deal. Verse 9 says, heal the sick and, uh, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. <clears throat> they were sitting there being taken care of the provision, but they were also giving back. They were ministering spiritually and physically to these people. And so they ministered the message of the gospel. And really, that was the central thing. Jesus went around proclaiming the message of the gospel, and that is the central thing. The church has it backwards. We, are not, we do not exist to feed the poor and clothe the homeless and all those things. That is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel. And guess what we get an opportunity to do when we, as we go? Feed and clothe and show the love of Christ. Amen? But there are churches and people out there that totally clothe people and help them and give the food and never utter the gospel at all. That's backwards. It is about the mission of the gospel. And I know I sound heartless. Believe me, I'm not. Because I believe if the gospel message is being preached and there isn't the practical love demonstrated with it, that's not the gospel of the Lord. Amen? But there are people that that are, are being clothed and fed who never hear the name of Jesus in the name of the church. And somehow they're supposed to mystically connect the, fi- the, the thing. No, people need to open their mouths. And sometimes we feel like because we do maybe a, a good works that we somehow, now I don't need to open my mouth because that's a substitute. No, it's about the gospel. They were to go to preach the message of the kingdom. Of course they're going to receive the clothing and the food. Amen? Who wouldn't if you're hungry and all that type of stuff? But they needed to hear the message. I know that's a, that, that seems kind of hard. Maybe I could have worded it a little bit better. There's so much more there, and at the risk of being taken as heartless, that's not the case. I simply want us to understand the difference between the gospel message and the acts that accompany it. Amen? So heal the sick. 
who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 10, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, guess what? That's going to happen. Go into its streets and say, even the dust on your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more tolerable, Jesus says, and more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The disciples were going to be rejected as they entered cities, as they preached the gospel. There were cities that were going to outright say, we don't want anything to do with you. No, thank you. Take care. Get out of here. And what they were to do is they were to go in the middle of the city and they were to dust off their feet or perhaps at the gate of the city and they were going to say, you know what, not even the dust on our feet. We're not even going to accept the dust from our feet from this place, so to speak, symbolic. And we've talked about the, the importance of of feet in the Middle East, the most dirtiest part of the body. And so it was a sign of, you've rejected the kingdom of God. Woe to you. And that's a heavy stuff. They were to say, the kingdom of God has come near. The salvation that could save you has been here, but you rejected it. You've rejected Christ. You've rejected His forebears, the ones who were declaring His message. He was going to come, but you've rejected him. <clears throat> it makes me think of our town. Are we faithfully proclaiming the gospel? Do they even know? You know? I hope so. For a town that rejects the gospel, the Lord says in verse 12, I tell you it will be more, well, this, this town, uh, these specific towns, I will tell you it is more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And that would just be a shock to a Jew as they knew their Bible. Sodom was a horrible city about 4,000 years ago for us, 2,000 years ago for them uh, at this time, that was just under the judgment of God. And, and God came to Abraham and said, listen, am I going to withhold what I'm about to do? I'm about to bring down judgment on this place. And, and Lot, Abraham's uh, you know, relative, was, was in the city. And so he interceded for him. And God said, okay, I'll wait if there's only a couple righteous people, but there weren't enough righteous people in the city. And so anyways, they sent an angel to the city and the men of the city tried to rape the angel. Peter talks about this. They were just totally given over to homosexuality and depravity and perversion. And God said, the cry has come up so, it's grievous what's come before me. So much so that I'm going to judge that city. And so for a Jew looking at that, they're going, that is the worst example in the Old Testament of a bad city. And for that city to be judged when God called down fire from heaven to obliterate it, and not only that, but other cities of the plains, except for one called Zor, all of that was destroyed. And, and they're just going, that is crazy judgment. It's more tolerable for that city in the day of judgment than the ones that would reject the messengers of Christ that came to that city and proclaimed the gospel. And they would just, on hearing this, they would just go, are you kidding me? I didn't think there could be anything worse. And Jesus says, it gets worse. How could anything be worse than Sodom's judgment? Jesus is saying, the more light they've been exposed to, the worse the judgment. The more light they've been exposed to, the worse the judgment. The more light you've been exposed to, the worse the judgment. The more light the city has been exposed to, the worse the judgment. And God does not 
desire that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Amen? And so who does he send as messengers into Walla Walla, into homes and families? Who does he send? You. You. Those who have been saved. That you would go in and declare there's one who saves. Saves from what? What do you think we're saving from? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes upon Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news, the gospel, that we can be saved. Then Jesus says in verse 13, verses 13 through 15, He pronounces woes or judgment on three cities that rejected Him. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles were performed in you that had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon were, were another two cities. So you got the top three bad, evil cities of the Old Testament, basically Sodom, Gomorrah, kind of a, a unified city there, and then and then you have Tyre and Sidon, which fell into the judgment of God. And you can read about that in Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 28. But these two cities were, well, I know that Bethsaida was the home of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Bad stuff. And Jesus says that if Tyre and Sidon, these wicked cities, had seen the miracles that Jesus performed, when they would have, they would have repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, an outward way of showing what the inward reality was that they were broken and undone, And so Chorazin and Bethsaida were doomed for rejecting Christ. Verse 15, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. So there seems to be this religious pride in Capernaum because Christ had been around or whatever it might be. You think you're going to be raised up, but actually, no, your destruction is headed towards your way. The Messiah himself, that was his headquarters in this this last 10 chapters. That's where he was, Capernaum, working out of Capernaum. And the miracles were done in His presence, and yet they rejected Christ, obviously. So these cities had experienced these miracles, but were doomed for judgment because they had ultimately rejected Christ and His gospel. And then He says in verse 70, uh, to the 70 and verse 16, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects Him who sent me. And that is what sharing the gospel is all about. And this is why we, we often have it wrong, because it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. If they listen to you, they listen to Christ. Amen? If they reject you, they're actually rejecting Christ because you're being a faithful messenger. You're, you're just simply, you're one with Him. But if they reject Christ, they reject the Father, and for that there can be no hope, only judgment. Then verse 17, a quick tweet from the 70 after they came back. The 17, uh, 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. That's kind of their little abbreviated report. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Man, the disciples came back with joy. You know, when you obey God, and you are unified with Christ, guess what the result is? 
joy. Have you ever had joy in suffering? You should try it. It's amazing. When you are doing exactly what God has called you to do and the world is beating you up, and yet there's just this, man, you just know He's with you. Some of you have gone through trials that are deep and powerful, and the Lord has walked with you through those things. It's not happiness. You're not rejoicing in the circumstances that are beating you up, but there's this joy in knowing that God is working out in and through you and is with you. Amen? It's amazing. And that's what's different than the world. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based upon truth. And it's abiding in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. They're rejoicing. Jesus says, you know, that's great. He says, I saw Satan's uh, fall like lightning. Some think this might be uh, when Jesus actually saw Satan cast out of heaven. That could be. Others say that it might be... um, that, that Jesus is saying that I, I see Satan's uh, uh, kingdom crumbling right before us, whatever that might be. But Jesus wants the 70 to rejoice not because of the power over the enemy, but that their names were written in heaven, that no matter what happens in this life, no matter how they might suffer for the kingdom, they will be with the Lord for eternity. And this next verses here kind of illuminates a little more. Verse 21 um, he says, at this time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus is now full of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, brothers and sisters. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, uh, learned, obviously I'm not, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And so he likens the 70 to little children. He likens the 70 little children, foolish in the eyes of the world, who consider themselves wise and learned. But these children, these 70, 72, are the ones to whom the Father has revealed himself to. Verse 22, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows, no one knows the Son, uh, who the Son is except the Father. And this is the reason for Jesus' joy. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and to those whom the Son has chosen to reveal Him. Jesus gets to choose to whom He's going to reveal the Father to. That's a fun discussion, which is not going to happen right now. And then He turned to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus is saying, the reason you 70 have cause to rejoice is because I have chosen to reveal the Father to you. And that is God's delight, is to reveal Himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. What is eternal life? To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life, to know God in that way. By the way we know God is through the Son. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me, Jesus says. You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said to Philip. Kings and prophets, they long to see me, Jesus is saying, and to hear what you're hearing. All the prophets, they long, they look forward to this. 
but I'm with you and I'm talking to you and I hear you. Could you imagine what it would have been to be one of those 70 to actually sit there and hear those words? All of creation focused on that person, all the reason of history. And there they are listening to him, seeing him, being sent by him. And Jesus is the only time I see in the New Testament or in scriptures that Jesus is full of joy. He's a man of many sorrows. But this is the one time we see him in joy. And it was when he revealed himself to the 70. And it was his delight. You know, God delights in revealing himself to us. And it, but it only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of God, that we would know God through Jesus Christ. Do you know God? Jesus said, the way to the Father is through the Son. This is a, this is, these are holy words. The Holy Spirit was sent to point men to Christ by convicting us of sin. This morning, you perhaps you're sitting there, you're going, what's all this judgment stuff? Am I going to be judged? The answer is we are all under the judgment of God unless we've been saved out of it. And it is God's desire that you would not face that judgment. And so he sent his son, his only son, to die in your place, in my place, for the sins we've done as a substitution, that he received the punishment and the wrath and the fury of God in your place, if you believe. That's beautiful. And the question is, do you believe? Do you respond to the Holy Spirit? And right now, I know in many people's hearts, there's a war going on. Well, I don't want to leave this. I don't want to do that. Or if I believed in this, I would, I would... That's all the things that would block you from knowing the Lord. Those are, those are all the things. And, and so, as the Spirit is calling you to this life of discipleship, you have to surrender your life to Jesus. You have to say, today is the day I give it all up. and I, I, I surrender. I'm a mess. I believe I have sinned before you. I believe I'm under judgment. And now I believe that you died in my place and you are the Savior. So save me. Forgive me. I believe it. And by faith in Jesus' promise, in the promise of Christ, you are declared innocent the innocent for the guilty. And not only that, he rose again on the third day that you would have eternal life. And so just as he died, you die to yourself. And just as he lives, now you live after him. That is the gospel, new life. Anyone need Jesus this morning? The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. That's you. Don't play games, don't play church. This is the real deal. The, the, the path is narrow. Repent. That means turn from your sins. Call it out the way it is and begin to follow Christ with your heart. That means you, it will hurt. But guess what? You've got an army of people around you who, who are walking that narrow path and who are being changed to the image of Christ. And we love to walk with you in your walk. And that's what we're called to do. Now, Jesus says, now, if you believe in Christ, he said, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you, that we lay down our lives for one another. That's how the proof that we're born again is there's love in us, the love of God. And that love is self-sacrifice. If that's your prayer, you know, he in no way is going to cast you out. 
Rejoice, for your name is written in heaven because you have placed your faith in Christ. Now, turn from your sin. And now that you know, get ready to go. God didn't save you to sit. He saved you to send you. Amen? And you might be going, man, I'm a mess. Oh, little children. You're a little child. A little mess. Your hair's all disheveled. That's who he chooses, my friend. Not people that have it all together. Not the wise of this world, but you. Poor in spirit, broken in heart. Respond to him, amen? Lord God, we commit this time to you. I want to thank you for these passages. Thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord, that as people are responding to your gospel this morning, that you would speak to them in a profound way that they would know they cannot walk out of here without calling out to you, without being changed, and without turning from sin. And Lord, as they step into the light, as their deeds are exposed, I pray they'd be met with the arms of your grace as you've wiped away everything. In the name of Jesus, amen.